Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Upfront. I'm Chloe Morgan. And I'm Rachel O'Sullivan. Arsenal got their revenge against Liverpool, but Viv Medivar has now really announced her return back to the WSL. We give our views on an eventful encounter and Jonas Eidevall's 100-game milestone. But with ACL news, there's always more bad stuff around the corner, and now Jill Rod is the latest WSL giant to be ruled out of the rest of the season. We discuss just how much ACL injuries are shaping the outcome of the entire division right now, and what Man City can do without their record signing and only signing. Uh, plus, we look back at West Ham's huge win over Bristol City down at the bottom and hear from the CEO of Nuco for the very first time. Right, Rach, let's jump straight back into it, shall we? I mean, it's only a few moments ago that we were sitting side by side at Stamford Bridge, keeping each other warm under the, the bright lights of, um, of, of the game. Um, tell me, what was your moment of the weekend? It felt like a fairly bog standard weekend. Everything kind of went to plan this weekend. So it was quite hard to pull out a kind of stellar big moment. But yeah, what was I, yours? I feel like there was one big moment and that was Miedema getting her first goal back. Um, always a big moment when a player comes back from an ACL injury, particularly a player that we're used to see scoring goals. Um, so when a player comes back from a long term injury and gets a goal, um, it's always a very special moment. Uh, it's the same with Beth Mead. It will be the same when Sam Kerr comes back. Um, it's always very special. So yeah, it's got to be that one. Having seen her play a couple of times recently, you know that was the one thing you felt she was a little bit tentative around in front of goal. Um, so to see her come back and not just score any old goal, but to score a, an absolute belter of a goal, we don't often see Viv. Scoring, it was a worldie. Yeah, scoring from outside the box as often as she does inside the box um, or celebrating. So I think some of the really nice moments that have come back from these from these ACL returns is the, the team coming together when um, the player scores or assists in Leah Williamson's case. Um, and that was a, a definitely a standout moment of the weekend. 
It was beautiful. I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna make a comeback, I mean, he's already obviously done the kind of walking onto the pitch, you know, all the fans seeing her for the first time after the ACL. But what an absolute rocket! Top bins, like the goalkeeper had no chance. It was it was disgusting. Um, I have got to say, the Asayi goal, the West Ham Asayi goal. I just um, I really felt for West Ham. I feel like they've really like turned a corner this January. They've got in these new signings. They've been languishing at the bottom of the table, and we're going to talk a little bit about it later on. But it was just such a moment of pure brilliance because it was so hard. To, you know, she was threaded that ball through and then she took it on herself and slotted it so perfectly between the keeper's legs and I just thought that in itself was just you know with the pressure on as well to kind of produce those results especially against Bristol who, who beat them last time I just thought yeah and Jeshu getting that, that assist as well um, young player also just back from ACL um, this season so great to see her getting minutes and getting important assists as well so all in all that goal was uh, was very nice some very heartwarming moments there. <laughs> um, right, let's get stuck into this juicy kind of title race and the ACL updates. Obviously, not great news for us. We thought we'd kind of see the back of it maybe with what happened with Sam Kerr. And now we're sort of straight back into a few weeks later, another big titan of the WSL um, falling to the ACL curse. Um, Arsenal avenged their opening day defeat and Vivian Miedemar scored her first WSL goal since returning from her ACL injury in a 2-0 win over Liverpool. And like you said, I mean, what a goal it was. Um, Viv said afterwards that she may be even better than the old me I mean is that even possible I mean she was elite before but now I feel like Vivian 2.0 is something that no defense wants to see no opposition wants to hear those kind of words do do you think there's glimmers there that she could be sort of reinvigorated back to a a better version of what she already was I mean it's hard to imagine a better version but I think especially given she's playing that deeper role which she enjoys more that probably plays a part in her I guess, enjoyment back on the pitch. Um, and we've seen that over the last few games that she's made appearances in. It's, it's that link-up play um, and those passes, that those trademark passes that she's known for and that vision that she's known for. That has certainly come back from the get-go. I mean, one of her first touches back, um, I think it was against Bristol, she almost set up Beth Mead for a goal with a, an absolute pinpoint pass. Um, so that never went away. So if if she, I think, yeah, she's she's looking at coming, coming back to being her old self. And if she can be better, well, that's a pretty frightening prospect um, because she definitely set the bar high um, back when she was playing. But yeah, I think the fact she's playing in a, in a preferred role might also have an impact on, on how she, much she's enjoying her football. Well, we've always we've kind of talked quite a bit about the kind of dynamics between the sort of strikers, the forwards at Arsenal, given there are so bloody many of them. Um, I mean, we've got a question in from uh, Florence on Instagram. Uh, what was your opinion on Russo dropping so deep yesterday as a striker? I mean, I felt particularly in the first half, it felt quite congested, and I think that was also down to Liverpool's defence. They were trying to force Arsenal out wide again. It worked so well for them in the first game. Um, and it was something that we kind of bemoaned in that game where Arsenal just kept going wide and sending in crosses and it just wasn't working and at times they were it was like they were trying to go centrally but it was just too congested and and, and kind of slow in the middle so it was probably that Russo maybe wasn't getting the service that she wanted which kind of forced her to drop a little bit deeper to try and get the ball but then perhaps that could have I guess, added to the congestion when you think about all the other players that are in and amongst that area. Um, so a part of it, I think, was Arsenal struggling to be creative enough. The other part of it, I think, is down to Liverpool's defence. Um, I think they Liverpool, I felt, for, for me in the first half especially, it felt like they kind of went out there to not concede rather than to try and get a goal. I think they had one shot on target in the game. 
Um, so, I, you know, going out there to frustrate Arsenal, I think they did that in the first half. Um, but then when Miedema gets in that kind of fine, I'll do it myself kind of frame of mind, she's dangerous. And it's generally when she unleashes a long range shot because we're so used to seeing her you know, score from close to range. And I think Arsenal will be trying to do that this season is sometimes just be a bit too pretty with their football. Mm. Um, and actually that goal from Beth Mead against Reading, that ball over the top from Leah Williamson, sometimes that's all, all you need to break open defences. And I think with a team like Arsenal who have so many goals in them, but often struggle creatively, getting that first goal can be so key. Um, and I think, yeah, it definitely opened them up a bit more in the second half. I've got to agree with that. I do sometimes think Arsenal are sort of masters of their own downfall. They're almost too clever for the pitch. If that, like you know, like it, it kind of feels like because there are so many people who are capable of scoring from the back to the mid to the front. It feels like um, you know, like we used to go to um, you know, kids shopping or shoe things in like Clark's or whatever it was. You take a ticket and it was like it was your turn next to score. It feels like that. It feels like they just sort of like it's my turn now. I'm going to give it a go. Okay, well it's my turn now. I'm next in line. It, it does feel a little bit. <laughs> Another weird analogy for yeah. me um one of the kind of more confusing not confusing I suppose but what I expected to see this weekend was more of Leah Williamson obviously she had the minutes in, in the Conti Cup game and I thought this is another opportunity for her Arsenal are dominating the game I felt it was a safe it would have been a safe bet for Jonas to bring her on to sort of give her 10 or 15 minutes towards the end um that was one of the things that I was like seriously sort of confused about because I was expecting to sort of see those 10-15 minutes towards the end. It felt like a safe bet for her for her to do that. But I know sort of in the, the post-match, you know, Jonas was saying, you know, you always have a plan for returning players. Leah was available to play, but not for many minutes. Um, he said sometimes that opportunity comes and we can use that plan. And sometimes like today, I felt we needed other things to manage the game. Yeah, I think there's always, especially with returning players, there's always a risk at how quickly you bring them back. And the Reading game, was a good game to do that in. But there's always going to be tactical elements to it too, right? So it, say Arsenal were still nil-nil at 70, 75 minutes. He might say, okay, it's worth bringing Leah on because we need someone to be able to open up the play and get, and, and send in balls over the top and find those pinpoint crosses and, and maybe stop trying to be so direct or in this kind of congested area. So perhaps had the game gone a different way, she would have tactically made sense because if it doesn't tactically make sense... I guess it's not worth the risk. There's plenty more games coming up where she's going to be absolutely crucial. So there could have been an element of that as well. Absolutely. And I think um, one of the nice things, I suppose, is when she sort of came, I mean, she was one of the first people to get, actually get out onto the pitch, you know, in, you know, go out and train. I think she got one of the biggest cheers for the crowd, like when the uh, when the announcement came up about the uh, the team list. And I think even after the game, she was sort of seen, you know, signing autographs and doing her classic, you know, Leah Williamson awesomeness stuff. And, and even Viv Miedemar was sort of saying after the game, you know, we all know what she can bring to the team. She, we know that she's one of the best uh, centre-backs in the world. Um, but yeah, we're just going to have to give her time and not push her and give her the right time to come back in her own space so yeah I really appreciate that kind of you know the fans are wanting it everyone's demanded it the media wants it we all want to see her back on the pitch but actually give her that space I mean she's only just come off the back of learning concert piano with um you know the BBC uh Royal Orchestra so you know it's um you've got to give her space and time haven't you really um but yeah another kind of less great we've got one person obviously returning from their ACL injury and then on the other hand we obviously just had the news that Jill Rudd, um has got an ACL injury has picked up an ACL injury and it kind of just feels like when I mean we were obviously talking about it in our group chat and you know I was saying I just feel frustrated and angry I just feel like this is the more 
and it's not just the high profile names, but you, you start to look at the kind of impacts that the high profile names in particular are going to have on the league and its competitiveness and how it shapes, you know, the title winners and the relegation zone. Because if you look at the likes of, you know, Sam Kerr and Jill Ward, two of the, the league's most prolific strikers, two of the, you know, the biggest attacking threats now completely ruled out of this season. It's hard to really put a number or a figure on what impacts they would have made had they been able to see out this season, how many goals they would have scored, how many, how many assists they would have got you know how many points they would have contributed to and now we will never know what impact they would have had so it does change I mean Man City especially as kind of this being you know one of the big years where they look to actually have a you know a real decent chance of taking that title away from Chelsea this is this is a massive blow yeah it absolutely it's shit seeing you know these big names drop out and I mean there's some silver lining in that the clubs are at Chelsea were able to go and, and look at get and get a replacement in pretty sharpish. I know Man City are looking to fill that midfield midfield hole that Jill Ward has left. Um, with you know looking at Blink Hilda Brown and uh, at Aston Villa, so they are looking to replace her in that window in that January transfer window. But I mean, I agree. Obviously, we've been calling for more ACL research, particularly last season when we had such a massive spate of them. And I think the thing is, long term injuries are always a part of sport they're always going to be an element in sport and it's shit and they're not always ACL injuries you know we've had Deanne Rose out for most of the season with an Achilles injury what did that do to Reading's season she got injured in the very first game of the season and didn't come back pretty much till the last game of the season could that have impacted what happened to them is that maybe could not contributed to to them being relegated but you know could it have been a different season for them if they'd managed to to keep her fit for the whole season so long-term injury is a shit part of sport um and yes we're always calling for more research i think the thing is like this is feels like the spate has kind of happened in the last 18 months two years it's not going to fix in six months time we're not mm-hmm. going to suddenly find the answer and the solution is going to be there and everyone's going to stop getting acl injuries in a short space of time and that's the frustration there is research happening i think there's a lot more investment going into it now, given the number of high profile injuries we've seen and the, the how many there have been um, in the last 18 months or so. So uh, that research will take time. The adapt uh, players bodies adapting to the loading, to the amount of football they're playing, that's going to take time. And it's frustrating because we hate seeing players getting long term injuries. But you look at those injuries in <clears throat> at, at clubs where they don't have funding or they're not playing professionally and what an impact it can have on their season as well. So it's a really crap part of professional sport. And I'm sure as a former player, you know all about that. Yeah, I think um, just sort of picking up on what you were saying there about sort of, you know, the investment into ACLs. But you look at, you know, when these ACL hap- uh, ACL injuries are happening and, you know, when they're in the transfer window, you think, oh, that's a really good opportunity, actually. You know, it could have it could have happened at a worse time. Yeah. This is a great time for it to have happened. You know, the, the market's still open. We can still sort of go out there and see if we can find a replacement for, for the interim. But then you think about actually the kind of disparity between the clubs and, you know, what they're able to achieve financially. I mean, a club like, you know, if you've got you know, two of your key players at Bristol City or in West Ham coming out with an ACL injury, you can't just go to market and try and find someone because you might not have the funds to go and do that. So it sort of creates this kind of financial 
gap I suppose in a way of you know how are you able to kind of cover that if you your budget says that you weren't really looking or you don't have the budget until until the uh, the summer window happens so yeah I do think obviously Chelsea have been quite quite fortunate about when the ACL uh, when Sam Kerr's ACL injury has, ha- has happened and we were down at Stamford Bridge on Wednesday saw Mayra Ramirez in the stands which is kind of like one of those you know Emily Fox in the background of Arsenal's photos type vibe um, Chelsea confirmed on Friday that they were signing her for a world record fee €450,000 plus €50,000 in potential add-ons which is absolutely fucking massive um, I mean obviously they've managed to kind of get a Sam Kerr replacement in ASAP someone with physical someone with dynamism someone who's able to sort of step in someone who had you know who Emma Hayes has a lot of respect for we saw what Mary Ramirez was capable of at the World Cup I mean when we played when England played against Colombia it was one of those matches you thought oh my god that this 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 could not go our way and one of those players that you were thinking was the reason for that was Ramirez so yeah I mean I would err on a little bit of caution and not over hype her oh go on bring me down no as in purely like give her a chance she's young I know the fee is huge She's not Sam Kerr. Like, it's going to take her a little while to find her feet. Like, trying to replace Sam Kerr is borderline impossible. Um, and yes, she did have a very good World Cup, of course. But it was um, Linda Caicedo that we were all talking about from Colombia. So I know we're all kind of going back and going, yes, she was amazing at the World Cup. She was the one we all talked about. It's like, she wasn't really. Like, we did touch on her and she was very good. So I'm kind of a bit conscious of putting way too much pressure on her filling the very big shoes that Sam Kerr has left. But I think it's very exciting how Chelsea were able to get her in so quickly. Um, and Emma Hayes touched on that kind of physicality and strength that she has, which is a key aspect of Sam Kerr's game as well that we maybe don't always touch on. Um, and it it allows LJ as well to stay in that number 10 role that she's so good at. Um, and it gives them potentially more options up front. Fran Kirby played in that number nine. Emma Hayes thought it was one of her best games in a Chelsea shirt for a while. So they've still got that option as well. Um, but Ramirez definitely offers something different. Um, and it's exciting. I think it's a huge move for her. She's come to Chelsea. She doesn't speak any English. Um, Emma Hayes and Hannah Hampton both speak Spanish fluently. So that's a massive help for her. But, you know, it's, it's a lot of a big adjustment for her. So I don't want to put too much pressure on her. But I think it's quite an exciting opportunity, absolutely, for her to, to have Chelsea ring up and be like, come here, <laughs> do you want to come over to the bridge? <laughs> I mean, arguably, do we think that she probably would have been signed even if Sam Kerr hadn't sustained that ACL injury? I think she was always... There's a part of me that feels like Emma Hayes is one for succession planning. When you look at Sam Kerr and her coming back you know, into the league, hopefully at the back end of next season, Sam's going to be turning 31 in September. Ramirez is 24. She's just signed a 4.5-year deal. It kind of feels like, OK, well, the Sam Kerr... Like Sam Kerr is absolutely brilliant and I'm hoping that she returns to you know, her incredible full form when she does come back from her ACL. But at the same time, you do have to then think about the next generation. And, you know, we're starting to bring, you know, we're starting to see her bring in Mia official. We're starting to see... Aggie Beaver Jones. Aggie Beaver Jones. Lauren James is stepping up into this role of, you know, having to deliver, you know, consistently do that. So I do think there's an element now of sort of, you know, starting to see Emma kind of look at the next generation of, like, Chelsea legends. So... Part of me wonders, like, was it for... Was it always planned for this window? Or (laughs) was it something that maybe they said this summer let's go in for her it's hard to know because normally you know we tend to hear rumors we tend to hear there's interest buzzing with this player and there wasn't really a lot of that around her um so part of me wonders whether it was something that could have happened in the summer and now it's been fast-tracked and they've got in early four and a half years it's quite an unusual time right? but it, no but it also gives you that half of this season and it makes me kind of think 
was a potentially a, a summer signing they planned and they've just had to accelerate it due to Sam Kerr's injury. Who knows? But I think you were saying there that kind of Ramirez is, you know, let's put let's not put too much pressure on her. She is very early days. She's only just got her first few minutes, got her foot in the door, trying to settle, trying to learn the language. There's a lot on her shoulders. But at the same time, you can't take away from the fact that there actually is a lot of pressure on her shoulders. Chelsea do want that, that fifth WSL title. And, you know, we kind of circle back a little bit to Jill Rod being that kind of, you know, Jill and... You know, the likes of Lauren Hemp and Bunny Shaw, they do have that pressure and expectation on them to take them into, you know, Man City, hopefully winning the WSL this year. Do we think that Man City, I mean, this is a question from Coventry underscore East underscore LLC. I'd really like to know where that name came from. Um, do we think that Jill Ward's absence is going to affect Man City's title race this season? Well, it's interesting. So we were talking about Ramirez's impact and how quickly she can fit into a team. Jill Ward did that. She fit into the team so quickly, seamlessly. And Emily Fox, we've seen the same thing with her. Yeah, but, you know, Jill Ward being the only signing that Man City brought in, you know, it was something we a lot of us talked about at the beginning of the season. They hadn't really brought in many players. What, you know, how was that going to impact their season? We were seeing a really consistent Manchester City so far this season, consistent results, um, you know, probably playing the most consistent type of football so far this season. So it, it looked like it was all paying off. And look, it probably still will. But for that player... For Jill to be the one that, not that we want that injury on in anybody, but for Jill to get that injury, you just feel so gutted for her because she'd fit in so seamlessly and she really offered Man City a lot. So it, I think, look, it depends if they're able to bring in someone to replace her. They have got Hasegawa, who is very, very good in that position. Um, you know, you could look to try and bring someone else into that defensive midfield role instead and have Hasegawa step up because she is an absolute diamond there. Um, but whether they get someone in just for that extra bit of depth, I don't know. But I do feel Man City is a, a squad jam-packed full of talent. So, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think it's going to have a massive impact, much like how we're seeing Chelsea play right now without Sam Kerr. Adaptation, and I think Man City have had plenty of setbacks. We know the injuries they faced last season as well, <clears throat> and, and they were able to, to manage that pretty comfortably. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. 
That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. All right, well, we have covered the top of the table. We've covered the WSL title race and how it's been impacted by the signings and the injuries. Let's take a swift look at the bottom of the table. We saw a clash between West Ham and Bristol City. West Ham walking away with the points 2-1 in a huge, huge relegation zone rumpus, I'm going to call it. Thank you very much. Um, Their first win since the second weekend of the season. Uh, Vivian Asai, as I mentioned before, got the winner with a great run and finish slotting through the legs of the goalkeeper. I mean, how do you think Rachel they get the best out of her? Because she kind of shone in that game and they needed her to step up and she really did. That was key. She's been a real threat for them all season. Um, I think she's been getting herself in good positions. I think at times, and generally West Ham have had this problem, is they've just not been clinical enough and put the ball in the back of the goal. And, you know, sometimes it's just a case of it takes time, uh, a bit, bit of patience. And I think we saw that um, at the weekend. I think, you know, arguably West Ham got the first goal against the run of play. Hayashi getting the goal. Um, but a part of that was down to poor de- defence from Bristol they kind of stopped the first shot and then stood and watched her <laughs> with a load of space and um, have a go on goal and, and score so a little bit frustrating from a Bristol perspective in terms of their some of their defensive decisions at the weekend um, it, it was quite a transitional game which maybe benefits Assay a little bit because once she gets let loose with a ball her, you know she's so good at running directly at at defenders rapid yeah and you know that link of play with Jess Shu was so exciting as I touched on earlier on um, so yeah I think a well deserved goal from her and she's such a threat and she broke away a couple of times as well um, I do have to shout out because there's two moments this weekend where I was shouting at my TV in excitement one was Viv's goal and the other was Fionn Morgan <laughs> so, beautiful what uh, a cutback like, this what is, a run what I really love about Bristol is you know the decisions that Lauren Smith makes during some of the games, like she's really brave. I think the team is really brave. They don't just sit back and put 10 behind the ball and, and hope that the other team don't score. They can play some really exciting football and some really brave football. And sometimes... Although they do set up quite de- defensively. I mean, it was five at the back on. It, it did seem a little it bit It started cautious. at five at the back and then during the, during the first half, they switched to four at the back by bringing on Lisa Evans. It was a much more transitional second half because both teams are really going for it. And I think that's the bravery that Bristol have is that when they do go down and it's happened a number of times this season, they get goals back. And not a lot of teams who are sitting down around the bottom of the table have had the ability to do that in the past. So I think they've come back a number of times and that's what's been the frustration, frustrating thing for them is they'll get themselves back into games and like at that Brighton game, sucker punch in the last minute and they lose a point. So I thought it was in terms of bravery in the second half, they really threw themselves at it. And we saw that with Fionn Morgan, a roll of a dice from Lauren Smith to make changes at halftime. And West Ham had a goal disallowed. And while they were still fannying around getting back into position, the ball was passed out quickly to Fionn Morgan. She ran almost the length of the pitch, 
you know, ro- she's, a, she's quite small as well. Yeah, like, rolled a challenge quite... <laughs> from Gory as well, who's you know pretty solid. We saw what she did at the end of the match, where she threw herself on top of Princess and nearly knocked her over. You know, she rolled a challenge from Gory in the box and managed to find Thestrup who smacked the ball home. And like that was another moment where I was out of my seat watching this match, and um, because it was such a good passage of play, and you kind of saw it all happen almost in slow motion as she took off down the pitch. You were like, "Oh my god, she's gonna, she's gonna do it. They're gonna get the equaliser." <laughs> um, so yeah, I thought second half really transitional. Um, great goal though from Asai. I think Bristol maybe a little bit unlucky not to get an equaliser. They really went for it, um, and it was difficult for them, I think, because Lauren Smith has been pretty positive most of the season you know results might not be going their way but performances have been there and she's seen a lot from a very very young team one of the youngest teams in the league but she was pretty damn dejected after that understandably because that was probably one of the games they'd identified as an absolute must win yeah for sure and I think when you look at how tight it is at the bottom of the table I mean West Ham just on eight now Bristol City on five I mean that is the kind of killer game that makes the difference that is I mean I kind of pitted them obviously to be the, the ones that got relegated back down to the championship and I don't feel confident that that is going to be overturned anytime soon but I do think that you know the flashes of brilliance that you see in Bristol City it, it does kind of give you hope that if they get their shit together that actually it's going to they can get a few kind of like sleeky last minute points and when you look at the bottom end of the table I mean the bottom six teams there's only seven points between mm. them all so there's as soon as someone drops them. off forms yeah absolutely 100% there's draws at least in some of those games yeah. so but then turn it round now to uh, West Ham. Uh, Rianne Skinner's second win in her last 21 league games, which includes the end of her time at Spurs. Um, I mean, how important do you think this is to the second half of the season for her coaching career? Because I think when you kind of look at those stats, it doesn't look particularly impressive. I know that, you know, she did have a good season with Spurs. I mean, there was a, you know, they finished was it four, uh, fifth, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. I think we always kind of said that was, you know, a bit of an, an overperformance by Spurs. They overachieved against what they kind of had in terms of resources, the players at that time. But, you know, when you look at kind of West Ham's run of form, um, I, I, I can't see that she's really managed to gel things together. But then I look at kind of the, the signings that she's made the January transfer window, you know, with Christy Mewis, with Katrina Gore, with Sadorsky, who obviously, like you said, nearly got the goal. You think, actually, is this the changing of their fortunes? Or do you think, actually, Rianne Skinner, if things don't pick up, could be on the chopping block? Um, I think it'll be a little bit unfair if you were West Ham, the West Ham board, to take to add her Tottenham Hotspur, Hotspur runs into um, her results this season because you knew what you were getting when you brought her in. She had mm-hmm. that she had that record when you brought her in. Um, you've brought her in really late. She's not really had much time to sign a lot of players. So to expect a manager to suddenly gel everyone together super quickly is a little bit naive. I also think there is an element from West Ham of maybe not investing as much as the club would need to really challenge up the table. Um, So I think, you know, she's done some really smart recruitment in January, really cheap recruitment, if you like. She hasn't had to spend a lot to get some really good mature heads in. And I think that's what was missing a little bit within that team. Um, I disagree. I think West Ham have a more identifiable style of football than what they did last season. I've seen a few of their games and I've seen a few games where they should have, if drawn, won drawn if not won right I've seen a couple of games where it's been so tight and they've showed a real grit and fight that maybe they've lacked in previous seasons Mm -hmm. and I think about that Aston Villa game that they they lost that Bristol game that they definitely should have gotten at least a point out of so for me looking at them there's something there and I think the addition of the players they brought in in January could be a real marker for them and a real change because 
we've seen how quickly Gory has settled in. She's been absolutely brilliant. I think Mewis offers again, we've touched on this, a real uh, maturity in the team. And we saw how they took the game to Tottenham right at the... There's another game, a game they could have gotten a point out of and arguably deserved to get a point out of, but lost. So, you know... There's a lot more about them, I think, than there has been in previous seasons. And she does need time. Um, but I think those signings could be a big change for them. I think, because um, I was kind of looking back at sort of the, the halfway stats. I know we're sort of getting into, I think, game 13 this weekend out of 22. But, you know, West Ham have only scored 13 goals across all 12 WSL games so far and conceded 31. I think that's where the gap continues to be, is that they sort of get themselves into good positions. They get themselves, even on the score sheets, they are scoring goals. Um, but then they just let themselves down at that final hurdle. And like you said, it, you know, those those are the things that matter. So I don't necessarily think that they're out of the red zone yet. I think, no. and it takes a good run of form from Bristol to kind of you know get them back in it so yeah we're talking of another kind of bottom of the table team um Leicester are sort of rising into the kind of mid-level table but still you know still looking down and seeing finally what could be um ended their own nine game winless run with a one nil win over Everton they hadn't won since picking up those two wins on the bounce at the start of the season um like I said they're on sort of 13 points at the moment obviously Bristol City sitting on five so there's only seven points clear in there and it just it does feel like every points now is the difference between a place a win a draw is a difference between dropping between sort of sixth and ninth um but yeah I just want them to kick on I feel like since coming into the WSL they've kind of done nothing but kind of sit in the mid to bottom kind of a relegation zone battle they're always something we've talked about and I don't see them progressing and, and being sort of real contenders to you know pushing into the sort of top five at any point and I Leicester. feel like we should be having those yeah give them a break bloody hell they pulled off well, the absolute put... incredible no. escape last season what are you expecting from them Look at Spurs who have gone up. You look at Man United who have gone up. You look at Villa who have gone up. And they were... I know they've sort of dropped off a bit this season. But last season, they were absolutely killing it. Leicester have never had a moment in the sun. You've never thought, oh, gosh, you know I mean? Leicester, this is Leicester's real progress Leicester's moment now. in the sun was turning around that zero points at Christmas to staying up. That was incredible. That's not, that's not a moment in the sun they've that is struggling from, to get out of the they've, shadows. They've gone from hanging on and keeping themselves out of relegation to seventh to you know, getting big scalps early on in the season. I don't think it's a bad thing. I, I'm demanding more from Leicester. I think, I think they've had enough time down, in the WSL. Chloe. What are you like? <laughs> Jesus Christ. It's these Monday records. Willie got Kirk will be on to us now going, what's oh, Chloe? You've been doing a pretty decent job. Give me a break. No, I'm not saying he's not doing a bad job. I'm saying, actually, that I, I think we you deserve... More. I think we should be demanding more from <laughs> Leicester. I think they have the talent there. They have the resources. They have the setup. They play at the King Power Stadium. They've got quality there. They've got a good manager in. I just think... That we need to be demanding more of them. All right, I don't want don't to be talking. Don't drag me into this with your we. Lester, you're okay. You're doing all right. You keep doing what you're doing. Just start picking up a few more wins. But you've got it. I, I can see it in you. You do, you boo. <laughs> okay. We were treated to a very, very special roundtable. Uh, Nikki Doucette, the head of NUCO, uh, the company that will be taking over the running of the professional game of the Women's Championship and WSL as of next season. Um, we actually got a chance, the media got a chance to speak to her for the very first time since it's been announced that NUCO is going ahead and that she's obviously been the CEO trying to run around behind the scenes, putting everything together, trying to work out how the league's going to look, how the future of women's football is 
it's going to be shaped. It's um, it's no mean feat. So we've got some of the main takeaway points here because I think it was quite a lengthy discussion. So we want to break it down for you. Uh, the WSL and Championship will remain in their existing format next season. Doucette made clear that the audience is her number one priority. And this is also why she stressed that any broadcast deal has to make the WSL easy to watch. She also said that the experience is going, the experience of going to a women's match is more like Glastonbury. It's a festival experience. I feel like, I think we kind of talked about this a little bit before, that we've kind of jumped on this bandwagon. Everyone's heard Glastonbury and thought, whoa, whoa, Nikki Doucette wants to change the entire face of women's football and make it this fantastic festival. There's music and lineup and comedy and we all sit around and drink IPAs and like stare at the sun. And then if the football happens to be on, we might just go and pop in and see it. Like, I don't think that's what she meant. I think she just Do meant... Want, shall I give you the full quote? Yeah, go on. Because I go feel on. like Glastonbury got pulled out and everyone's just long. What? I feel like she, she was a bit like, what's something English people really enjoy? I've heard Glastonbury's good crack. Everyone's always raving about that. Okay, apparently what she said, I think it was to Sky, was when I hear, what I hear about from fans is just this passion. It's like a Glastonbury in some way. There's a festival feeling. It feels welcoming. It feels inclusive. It feels fun and passionate. Don't get me wrong. This is sport. We all want to win, but it's in a welcoming way where there's no judgment. Everyone is seeing and feeling that more and more and everyone wants to be part of it. So when she was asked if it's an overriding priority, she said, I sound like a broken record. I think we're, we're still learning so much about this fan base and the players. The priority is to create a company that obsesses over that. If we do that, understand that better, we'll create better partnerships, create better infrastructure for the clubs and players. And all of that has to happen over time. It's understanding our audience. So that's kind of what she said to Sky, I think it is. I absolutely appreciate that context. I think that kind of adds a little bit more um, sensibility to this kind of hype and hysteria that's sort of gone around this Glastonbury comment. And I, you know, I completely understand what she's saying. I think we do have to look at the women's game like a separate product to the men's. And there are different ways that we can market it. There are different ways that we can engage audiences. There are different ways that we entice fans to come down because we have different fans to the men's game. I mean, I'm, you know, we keep going back to this kind of age old thing. Yeah, there's families included, but there's also groups of men. There's also groups of women. There's also young, young girls. There's mixed groups there's older people there's younger people so I think we do need to keep it a inclusive space and I love the fact that you know you do have those kind of you know activations at games it might be sort of I don't know a fluffy cuddly like I don't know gunosaurus or whatever it is or you might have the steel pans or you might have you, you might know, have girls... big blow up apples being raced down the pitch at Bristol great crack people exactly lost their that. minds when we put that up on social media yesterday for some reason Let's do it a bit differently. I don't think that detracts away from the kind of game and us and that and kind of this thinking of, okay, well, if you're putting too much investment and kind of interest and focus into what's going on before the game, then are we really kind of like selling the game in its purest form? And I'm, and I, I, I don't agree. I think the two go hand in hand to make it a fantastic game day experience in the same way that you look at something like the NFL, completely different product, but you go down to the NFL games, you get your hot dog, you've got your hat, you've got your stickers, like you're sitting there, there's, there's, half-time entertainment there's five minute time entertainment there's 10 minutes in fact it's too much entertainment if I'm, if I'm gonna be quite brutal about the nfl but i do think that we should be embracing these ideas so and i was quite go on i was go gonna on. say this idea that pre-game and half-time entertainment somehow makes women's football look infantile or you know 
unserious. This isn't something that's just been developed in women's football. Pre-game and halftime entertainment is in pretty much every sport and always has been. You know, it's not some new thing that's come along. If you don't like it, that's fine. Like, just go and get a cup of tea. It's not a, a big deal. Like, <laughs> I just don't, I don't get, it doesn't impact the sport. You can still watch the sport. We still want, we still want the sport to be the main focus. And I think sometimes that's maybe where it's slightly different to say over in mm-hmm. the US. Um, I know she's Canadian, so she maybe has has more experience with sport over there. But sometimes it feels like the actual fundamental sport on the pitch isn't the main focus. And I think people maybe are worried that that kind of idea is going to come over. But actually, I can understand the desire of wanting to build fan bases. We want our games to be sustainable. You look at all the clubs over in America, they don't have a men's team to rely on. They've had to build their fan base from the ground up. So there's an element of what can we learn from that? How do we, you know, build that fan base even bigger than what it is now? So yeah, I think halftime entertainment's fine. Chill out. What I did think was quite interesting from Doucette is that there was this real big focus on fans. That seemed to be the key priority, which obviously you need fans for investment, for growing the game, for funding, you know, all of those things. Absolutely. But I feel like it is a slight departure away from the kind of old Kelly Simmons era, which was kind of, you know, make sure the product is fine first off. I mean... It's no, I, I, you know, I'm, I will never be derogatory about the women's game at all, but the quality of the game as to where it was before, it was slower. I think it was slightly less physical. I think we didn't have things like, you know, education program, we didn't have training, we didn't have strength and conditioning, we didn't have dietitians, we, did, we weren't doing those kind of gym programs. Where it was, you know, if you look at six, seven, eight years ago when I was still playing and, and you know, compared to where it is now, when you see the athleticism, the dynamism of, of some of these athletes now, the product has developed in such a way. But I think for Kelly, I think maybe she's had to, she's had to prioritise that because she's had to improve the product so that it gets the audience. Whereas I think maybe this is the new turning of the era where Nikki Doucette doesn't have to focus so much about, you know, putting on a good show and having athletes compete at the highest level. Her focus now is on the sort of commercial aspect of things. That was kind of, that, that was the turning point for me. But the only other thing that I'd say that, I didn't hear too much of was things like player welfare. I mean, it was only what last week that Leah Williamson was sort of talking quite frankly about the schedule and how, you know, we're not going to have enough athletes actually going out into the pitch if we keep having these injuries and we have to look at sort of looking at player welfare a little bit more closely. But that was the one thing that I thought was possibly missing from some of the topics that were discussed sure at the round table. Yeah. And I do think though, that's something that will come because at the end of the day, we haven't even got a company yet. We, oh, you know, we, we haven't so got early. investors, we haven't got broadcasters. So that's probably a difficult thing to tackle until you've got all of those things lined up, because then you're going to go and sit, hopefully sit down with your UEFA's, your FIFA's, your other federations to get around the table and have that discussion. Because I don't think it's something that you can solve solely as a as a, a league. Um, I agree, though, with the kind of slight departure or change in focus, but I think that's also a sign of progression, you know, and we're on a journey and diff- there's different elements that are going to be become more of a priority as we grow. And I think capitalizing on the commercial side of things is really important. And it's something she said that if you looked at this kind of independent from the men's game as a business, you'd look at it and go like, holy shit, this is an incredible startup. This growth and rise is incredible. So I guess it's making sure that that's capitalized on as well. And that's an understandable key part of growing the game, because if you get more commercial interest, you get more money from broadcast that goes out to clubs clubs get more money that hopefully filters down further you know into the into the championship as well and I know that's a <clears throat> another area that needs to be looked at is in terms of how that's going to be split and everything but commercial is a super important part of the growth of the game 
Absolutely. But I think, um, I mean, obviously, Nikki Doucette, there's a massive task ahead of her. She still doesn't, there's still a lot of things that we don't know. I mean, we don't know what the league structure is going to look like, apart from that it's not going to be changing next year. But there obviously is scope for the league to be expanded. And I think a lot of coaches, managers, players, fans have all kind of talked about them, you know, wanting that. Uh, we still don't know who's going to be on the Nikki Doucette special power elite league board. Uh, we still don't know what the kind of funding is going to look like. Obviously, aside from the fact that the broadcast deal is now going out to tender in the next couple of weeks but we don't know if the Premier League are going to be involved in that whether we're going to see external investors want to take an interest we still don't really know what sort of the biggest measure of success is I suppose uh, for her whether that is kind of fan engagement you know player welfare raising standards evolution of the wider period diversity there are a lot of things I suppose that still need to be ironed out and this is not any criticism on Nikki Doucette I mean Christ she's literally just stepped into the role probably just about got her feet under the desk got a cup of tea and kind of thought okay where do I start um, so yeah I mean I, I, it's just really exciting it feels like a bit of a blank check it looks like a, it feels like a blank slate to kind of do right by women's football in the right way and I feel you know Nikki Doucette is a bit of an enigma we don't know too much about her she's not sort of you know the Karen Carney they kind of have that history of her career and you know who she is and what her personality is like Nikki's kind of come from nowhere and I think that's sort of making people feel okay well, we don't really know what's next let's just wait and see one um, thing I will say is don't get freaked out about every little thing you maybe hear there's going to be lots of ideas you know bandied around there's going to be lots of thoughts there's going to be lots of topics that come up doesn't mean it's all going to happen. It's just people exploring potential opportunities. So I think the game will be okay. I really appreciate you being the voice of reason there. Um, one of the things that we do know is that the format of the Conti Cup is going to continue as it is. I know everyone was like, whoa, we just need to make sure the Conti Cup is safe. Protect I mean, that the is- Conti Cup. That is the key. I mean, we lost Arnold Clark. The Conti Cup can't fall next. Um, speaking of which, Aston Villa have just received their punishment for playing Noel Moritz in the Conti Cup after she'd already played in the competition for Arsenal. They've been given a three-point deduction, which means Villa and Sunderland go through and Manchester United are out. I know. Manchester United have released a statement. We are very disappointed with this outcome. I, I bet their like, social media team was like, we are fucking fuming about this. <laughs> like, delete. We are very disappointed with this outcome and do not understand its rationale. We feel that it undermines the integrity of the competition and of the women's game. We are considering our options in response. I don't think you can go as far to say it undermines the integrity no, of I think the game. I think it's an unfair the... outcome. Yes. If you started thinking about think. the impact of all other teams in all other groups and went, oh, well, that's not really fair and that's not really fair and that that would impact the integrity of the competition. It's not an ideal outcome. It's also, the integrity them, kind but... of, that, that, that sort of strikes at the heart of um, sort of fairness, bias, that kind of thing, like prejudice, and they're basically that saying kind of thing. You should have given us bias by not doing that. I can understand their disappointment, absolutely. Yes. And I think chances are they may or may not appeal. Um, it is an unfair result, absolutely. Um, but at the same time, I don't think you could be throwing around things like integrity of the competition, likely. Right, thank you so much for listening. We will obviously keep you updated as soon as we hear of any appeals being taken out by Manchester United uh, going against the uh, lack of integrity uh, of the Conti Cup. Uh, we're back on Thursday with a special interview as England and Manchester City star Demi Stokes joins us. She'll be telling us about Green Football Weekend, the title race and where she's at generally right now. That's so vague and open-ended. We could discuss 
anything. In the meantime, you can find us on Instagram and X. I am at Morgie underscore 89. Rachel is at Girls on the Ball. And we are at Upfront underscore pod. You can also find us on YouTube at Upfront pod. See you on Thursday. Upfront is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.